0: To date or not to date has opinions all over the church and family landscape. Some perspectives are direct and firm. There it is, black and white. Others are harsh and they lack discretion, and it kind of hurts when you hear them talk. And then there are the, the flexibly moderate who know that each family and each teenager is different. Here's the question that I want you to address in this podcast. I have several more, but here's the first one What is your view on teenagers dating? Do you kiss dating goodbye for all people until until they are serious about marriage? I trust that the few thoughts that I'm going to share it with you, that it will help you as you think about this vital subject. This is a question that is a regular recurring question in our ministry, and so I thought it was about time to tackle it, tackle it. So this is episode 229. I am Rick Thomas. Thank you for joining me for life over coffee the title of this episode and all the show notes everything that i'm going to share with you you're welcome to access and read and share freely episode 229 should all young people kiss dating goodbye now i have to divide this podcast in two parts the first half of it is going to talk about the title because the overwhelming majority of people that hear this episode Well, they have heard or been affected by the book where I got the uh, title from, the book uh, I kiss Dating Goodbye by Joshua Harris. And so I need to talk about that, because especially in light of his defection from the Christian faith in 2019, uh, that is somewhat of a, a, a trigger button for people. And so I want to address that. And then the second half of the podcast, I want to give you some ideas, 11 ideas specifically, as I skip the rock across the pond. And I hope that this non-exhaustive list of ideas on the back half of the this podcast will help you as you do think about this, I the, the concept of, of teenagers dating, should they, should they not. Again, this is episode 229, Should All Young People Kiss Dating Goodbye? And so let me jump into the first half and just give some commentary on this, well, what is, quite frankly, the Joshua Harris issue. And so, as you know, I took the title of the episode from his book, and that book became the, the point of the spear for this debate over dating during the, the 2000s, and it really had about a 20-year run. And then in 2019, uh, Joshua announced his defection from the Christian faith, and then he went on an anti-book tour denouncing his book, the one that he wrote when he was 19 years old. And so I took the title of this episode from that book about teenagers dating. And just to be clear, the book is a legalistic treatment that suggests that teenagers shouldn't date. And I think the title communicates that I kiss Dating Goodbye. And so I mentioned the name in the book, one from an integrity perspective, so that perchance you did not know. Where that title for this podcast came from, well, it's not mine. It did not originate with me. But the more important thing that I, I want you to hear is that I want you, if if you are given to this, I, I want you not, not to make the dating issue about Joshua Harris or his beliefs, his beliefs then or now, because it's such a trigger thing currently right now. You see, Joshua, this is what I want you to hear. He was not the cause of the anti-dating phenomenon. He wasn't. Joshua Harris is the, or he was, the Greta Thunberg for a homeschool movement that shaped his beliefs. The culture that preceded Joshua gave him his beliefs and practices, which came out in his writings. Now, someone will ask, are you saying that he's not accountable? No, that would be foolish. No, no. Let's think with discernment here. Of course, of course he's accountable for what he writes. What he writes, what he wrote then, and what he writes now, he is accountable to the degree that he should be. But here's what I want you to hear: He's not the cause of this legalistic dating, anti-dating problem. Joshua was a cute teenager with charisma who was the perfect package for a generation or two that went before him. He was propped up, not wittingly. I'm, it's probably unwittingly. I'm not attributing ill motive to them, but he was the the generational cute, charismatic person to prop up who who believed what they believed about dating and so Joshua just followed well-laid steps of his shaping influencers if someone takes the advice of a 19-year-old kid as legalistic orthodoxy i mean seriously think about that a 19-year-old kid tells you legalistically how you should uh, orthopraxy how you should live your 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 life Honestly, it speaks less to what the kid is espousing and more to what the hearer really wants to hear. Think about Greta Thunberg for, and her climate change parenting. Is she accountable? Well, of course she is. That's common sense. But what are you hearing? Are you hearing her? Not really. You're hearing those who are putting her forth to sell this worldview on climate change. And that's my point about Joshua Harris. He is accountable. He'll always be accountable. This is something he'll have to interact with, with God. But I want you to think with more contour, more depth about this problem. If you want to buy what Greta's trainers are selling, you're going to do that regardless of who's selling it. It can be Greta. It could be Bertha. It can be anyone. Other people will listen to her and they will reject her worldview because they don't believe it. Joshua was wrong, and he admitted as much here 20 years later. Now, caveat, I have no clue about his motivations, and I realize that some bloggers and theological intellectuals, that they actually know the machinations of his heart and what's going on, but I don't. And so I would be a fool to tell you why he believed what he did uh, as far as his motivations is concerned and, and why he does not any longer, and so I'm not going to go there. But if anyone wants to follow anyone in a lockstep fashion, it would be wiser for them to take ownership of the erroneous teaching that they embraced rather than putting all the blame in the lap of the proponents of that teaching. Sure, I want you to acknowledge bad teachers, acknowledge them, acknowledge their trainers, the generation that went before Joshua Harris and all of these people that are propping up Greta Thunberg, yes, speak out against bad trainers and speak out against the parrots. And in this podcast, I'm saying Joshua Harris was just as much responsible, but he was also a parrot too, and so is Greta Thunberg. But see, too many Christians love neat packages for all of their ills. And to put inferior teaching about dating in a hermetically sealed Joshua Harris package so you can avoid liability? Well, that's wrong headed. Worse, it can dull your conscience. Worse, it can keep you from redemptive solutions. Let me give you another illustration of someone that followed ill-advised doctrine. It's me, after the Lord regenerated me, I entered the fundamentalist movement, a legalistic culture, a legalistic wing of the evangelical movement. And I did that because, well, there were several reasons. I mean, it made sense to me. Virtually everybody, every conservative believer in my town was a fundamental Baptist. And I was an ignorant believer who didn't know John three sixteen at 25 years of age when God regenerated me. But even though I embraced it, and even though it made sense, and even though I liked it, I didn't shut my brain down altogether. I kept reading. I kept studying. I kept listening. I kept asking, kept praying. I left room for ongoing biblical clarity. Will you always leave the light on? Always leave the light on no matter who is teaching you. And then as time and trouble move forward in this mysterious tandem, it became apparent that my legalistic development was not good for my soul or my relationships. And time and trouble has moved on also in a mysterious tandem for those who embraced Joshua Harris's inferior teaching. And then they realize, in hindsight, 20 years looking backward, like, whoa, that was a mistake. Well, that's what I did too as a proponent, an advocate, for the fundamentalist movement and what they believed after the damage was complete. This is where I made my mistake. I chose anger toward my trainers, and I could twist this and say it was righteous anger, but I'm going to be honest about it. I I was sinfully angered toward my trainers, my teachers, my pastors, and college profs and and so forth, and what they taught me, and I was not paying much attention to how much I was okay with it at the time. I was okay with it. I liked it, and so I was a victim, loud and clear, from the housetop, I was a victim of of inferior teaching. Of course I was. Would it be wise for me to focus less on what they did and more on what I need to do now? Of course it would. The problem is, is some victim folks like me, and I did this. And so I'm not speaking against you or trying to harm you in any way because I did the same thing. I'm talking about for years. And some victims, folks like me, they can stew for years, always looking back on what others did for them. The blurring of the lines happens because, well, they are correct. And that's They have a legitimate case for lousy teaching and lousy practices, and that's where the lines get blurred between what they did and and my ownership for responding to what they did. But it's that recurring backward look that does not engage the soul for personal responsibility, and thus I became bitter by the day, and I was entrapped in an inescapable prison." Now, some people are in that inescapable prison now, and they will react poorly to what I'm saying by, they'll talk about the consequence, the adverse consequence of ill-advised teaching and their strict adherence to it. And you know what? They're right on all that they're saying. The training was ill-advised, one. Number two, they did adhere to it strictly. Number three, there were adverse consequences. That is the formula. If you embrace ill-advised teaching strictly, then there will be adverse consequences. But here's some things that I want you to think about. What are your options? Carefully listen here. You only have one option in a fallen world when it comes to biblical training. The biblical training won't be perfect no matter who's teaching it. Choose the teacher. It doesn't matter. Choose me. Choose way high on the scale, choose John MacArthur. Choose Joshua Harris. Choose anybody you want to. Choose your best, your favorite. The one that you think is the most precise and the most accurate. You only have one option. In a fallen world, that teaching will not be perfect. And if you don't understand that, you have set yourself up for disappointment. To expect heaven on earth is delusional thinking and an overrealized eschatology. The second point, not only... Will you get imperfect teaching? It's the only kind that there is. We all have drunk inferior, inferior Kool Aid that had adverse consequences. You don't have any option about that either. Just like you don't have any option about listening to imperfect, great teachers. You have no option as well about drinking. Kool aid. How many things were you gung-ho over only to gain more clarity later? Like my fundamentalist mistake. It happens all the time. Weight loss plans, for example. I mean, just go on go into market and you you will this one's perfect, this one's perfect, and this one's perfect. How can three diverse weight loss plans be perfect? A new church, a new preacher, church fads, inferior teaching we learn later. We all drink the Kool-Aid to some degree. And so you only have one option. The teaching is not completely perfect. Everybody drinks the Kool-Aid number two. And then number three, we have a redemptive God. And if you don't have point number three on your list, then the first two about listening to bad teaching and drinking some of it, you're in a mess. You see, you can spend your days beating up yourself, blaming others, or bitterly looking backward, replaying the tape about how things could have been if they had only done fill in the blank. Or you can get on with the Lord and find out how He will use your current humility and reclarified vision for His glory and your good. Now, I trust that my appeals here are strong enough to persuade you not to blame, not to pout, not to put off what could be redemptive thinking and responses to your disappointments. Some of your most severe mistakes form a backdrop of grace that will unfold God's most significant victories through you. Be a God-centered game changer, not a bitter victim, no matter what anyone does to you. Let the cross of Christ stand tall in your mind as you think about how the foolishness of God has more profundity and power than the wisdom and, and supposed strength of humanity. And so with these few thoughts on the front half of this podcast, we're near the 15-minute mark, let this be the fabric of renewed thinking. Now with that in mind, I want to hit a few highlights for you to consider as you think about whether it's wise... For your child to enter a dating relationship with the opposite sex, put Joshua Harris on the shelf, put the book on the shelf, repent of any bad thoughts you have toward all of that, pull the curtain, turn out the light, close the door, let's move forward. I want to hit a few highlights for you to consider as you think whether it's wise for your child to enter into a dating relationship with the opposite sex. Now, I'm speaking primarily about teenagers since adults are a different matter due to young adults or older adults because of the higher possibility of dating leading to marriage more quickly. And so in this podcast, I'm dealing uh, exclusively with young people, let's say under 20. This is episode 229, Should All People... Kiss, dating, goodbye. Let's jump into it. Now, I want to start this by talking about two stages of a child's life. Now, there's many ways to break it up, but I'm talking about dating, and so I'm going to neatly break it in in half just for communicating in this podcast. The first stage is the planting stage, planting, and the second stage is the fruit stage. So I want you to think about a harvest, a field, when you plant a plant, a corn, squash, tomato, whatever it may be. The planting stage, the first part, you see, after a child becomes a teenager, who they are, they've been in the ground for a long time. And after they become a teenager, who they are and how they act, it's baked into their cake. I I know I got metaphors going all over the place here, but there is little that you can do about it at this point I don't want that to sound as hopeless as it sounds in this moment, but this is my point now. I'll get to the hope later. You see, you do your primary and most intensive training between, let's say, the years of zero to to twelve, and I know that's an arbitrary time. Zero to twelve, that's that really cement-forming stage, and and again, there's stratification even within that, but I'm taking the whole stage, uh, the stage as a whole. And so this stage is the planting and the watering and the cultivating and the pruning, and the high-maintenance time of a child's life. And depending on the kind of caretaking parenting and the kind of intentionality that the parents put into this first big block stage of their lives, say zero to 12 or so, it'll have virtually everything to do with what happens next. And then the fruit stage, you must understand that what you observe, what is poking out of the ground The teenager, the teenage life is the fruit of the first stage, the planting stage, the zero to 12 plus years of their lives. In whatever ways they think, speak, act, it has been incubating for more than a decade. And the reason this is a crucial concept is that if you attempt to radically clip a teenager, prune Or make the fruit be something that you did not help grow. If you planted a potato and now you don't like potatoes and you cut the tops off or a tomato or a corn, you cut the stalk down because you don't like it now. Well, that's what you planted. There's culpability here. And so if you, you prune it back, to settle your fears because now you're freaking out because of, what, of the fruit that you see, and you're trying to gain control over it and micromanage it, and you bring the helicopters in so you can hover over it, it'll grow back. And so it's important that you understand these two stages. And I've written a ton on parenting, and, and there's parenting articles here, and I can send you dozens more to get into this and with more minutia. I do have an infographic here that that breaks it down in another way. And and you can look at this infographic. And again, we we have a lot of information about parenting that we would love to give to you, and you're welcome to ask. All right. So with the two stages in view, I just want to give you some random ideas in no particular order, except for the first one. The first one is absolutely the first one, but I want to give you some random ideas. So I'm going to take the rock, I'm going to skip it across the pond, and we're going to touch down on 11 places, and then we'll be done with the podcast. I just want to give you 11 ideas in no particular order except for this one, number one, Redeemer. The number one concept that worried parents forget is that we have a Redeemer, and his name is Jesus. Yes, they know this, but because of their worry you see it. They only know it really in an informational way, especially when it comes to their children. Worried parents, and I'm talking about characterized by worry. I'm not talking about worrying for a moment or worrying for today, but I'm talking about a characterization of worry. Worried parents are legalists at heart. Their functional belief system says this, If I do this or that, my child will love God and fly right. They may say, if I had done this or that, my child will love God and fly right. Worried parents who are habituated by, characterized by worry, they look reflectively back and begin to say, oh, if I had only done this. Do you hear what you're really saying? Worry, regret, blame, victimization, and beating themselves up over the state of their child points to one thing. The mini-Messiah complex. I am the Messiah. They won't state it this way, but they are implying, if this did not happen, my child would be different today. Do you hear the legalism in that statement? Perhaps the parent did make mistakes. Well, if you made mistakes, repent and be free from them, but never think your failures or your successes cause anyone to do right. That's karma Christianity. What goes around comes around. If God's grace, it's God's grace that changes any of us, and if peace and rest do not manage you, characterize you during your disappointments, then your understanding of grace is more informational than transformational. Point number one, redeemer. That's the most important one in these 11 random ideas that I'm going to give you. The second one is dad's involvement. A child, whether a boy or a girl, wants their father's love, their, his attention, and his protective care. If the child does not receive these things, there is a strong chance that when the fruit pops up out of the ground during the teenage years, that child will long for the filling of those disappointments, that vacuum through romantic relationships. And so as you think about dating, think about dad's involvement in those in the child's life for the during that planting stage specifically I'm talking about because there are deep longings in every kid's heart. Number two, dad's involvement. Number three, don't overprotect. I I, I mentioned this in a sense earlier. But I need to state it clearly here. Remember that you are managing the fruit at this stage, and the appropriate biblical controlling that was okay when they were younger during the planting stage, it just won't work that way during this During this fruit stage, this interdependent phase that the child is in, the child is no longer dependent on you exclusively. They're in this other place, an interdependent stage where they're partially independent and partially dependent, and you cannot control them the way you did when they were really dependent upon you. So point number three, don't overprotect. Number four, who is the dating partner? You have to consider the person your child wants to date. If the parents of this other person made some of the mistakes that I'm addressing here, you probably have a weak candidate, a weak dating candidate. I I did say that there is a Redeemer, and I understand even if you marry a weak dating candidate. By the way, I was a weak dating candidate. There is a Redeemer, But you need to hear this as well. Young, twisted love is a powerful drug that becomes a hallucinogen for lust-filled hearts. And so number four, you want to consider who is the dating partner. Number five, think about this. Some kids are wired for love. Every child has unique wiring. We're all bent in different ways. When that fruit comes out of the ground, It don't always go the same way for everybody. Everybody's different. And some children thrive on relationships and social interaction. Many of these will permit themselves to get caught up in romantic notions with the opposite sex. These kids could be some of the most vigorous God lovers you will ever meet. I want you to conjoin these two thoughts here. They they have a craving for romantic and social relationship, and they could be some of the most vigorous God lovers you'll ever meet. No child is perfect, as we all have at least one fallen string that dangles from our easily allured hearts. The upside, though, there's an upside to the child that's wired with love, is that they do love God with all the heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then what you will see is a mature and hum- they'll be humble enough, mature enough, humble enough for you to walk them through their love temptations. And so this one's is a little easier to parent because they're wired for love, but they also love God too, number five. Number six, you build your teenage uh, relationship, your relationship with your teenagers on trust. You build on trust. This is the most vital aspect to all relationships, including God, It's trust. It doesn't matter who the relationship is, whether it's parent to teen, teen to teen, parent to parent, friend to friend, child of God to God it doesn't matter. It's you see if one word from the Lord's canon were not accurate, everything else would come everything would come crashing down on us. The only way you can relate to any person well is by being honest. This is the most critical data point in my relationship with my wife. The more our children will tell you is the more, most critical uh, uh, data point with our relationship with them. They'll t- tell you that our students. I tell our students in our mastermind program. I mean, if you lie, all bets are off. Because we trust you, it's a cyber relationship. We're not looking over your shoulder. It's a cyber relationship. We have to trust you. Once a person lies, all bets are off. You're never sure what you have. If your child does not have a history of truth-telling that you have examined and affirmed in ever-increasing and demanding opportunities that you provide provide for them as they grow older, then you need to beware if they want to date. Number six, you build on trust. Number seven, they must date. I must date. If your child has to date, you probably have a problem. If they have to have a smartphone, you probably have a problem. I have an article here on that that you can read. What you believe you need will control you. And so number seven, I must date. Number eight, redemptive indi- indicators. You're looking for redemptive indicators in your child. This will help you to assess if it's appropriate for this person to date. It's vital to know what kind of child you have. Let me give you a few redemptive indicators that suggest your kid is a Christian, let's say. You'll see this. Humility, which equals they're teachable. Character, which equals integrity. Confession, which equals they're Ownership, not blaming. Conscience, they desire to do right. Worship, active in their eagerness for God and serves. This is their default mechanism. They'd rather give than get. Those are some redemptive indicators that you're looking for. Number nine, they're weak or they're not a Christian. Now, this is subjective. I get it, it's highly subjective but you have to examine anyway. No teen will imitate Christ the way they will with with more life under their belts and more experience with God, but what you're looking for is how would you characterize them day-to-day, week-to-week? Are they more like Christ most of the time or not? And your answer will tell you if they are a vibrant believer, a weak believer, an unbeliever, and again, these assessments are subjective, but you must do the due diligence to Make those observations. Number nine, are they weak or no Christian at all, which is different from what I was saying earlier about the person who really does love God. Number 10, find outside help. All family dynamics are different, and only an unwise person would attempt to map one perspective over all believers and say, this is the way, walk ye in it. Don't listen to that. If your marriage is not stable enough to have these highly intelligent and deeply sobering conversations with your spouse, then you have to find help. If your child is dating and in trouble, you must find help. And so don't be ashamed. Look for help in whatever way that you need it because of whatever the dynamics that may be or may not be. Uh, within your marriage and within your, your family. Number 10, find outside help. And then number 11, this is the last one, reject dogmatism. If a Christian leader tells you it's wrong to date, with no exception, no caveat, no understanding of the complexities of shaping influences, child-rearing, teacher, uh, teenagers, parents, family dynamics, maturity levels, and the customized care of each person and family, be careful. And this advice goes both ways. If a person says any teen should date, beware. If a person says that no teen should date, beware. It's easy to give advice when the stakes won't blow back on you. But if it's your kid, you must do better than swallow the Kool-Aid, and you must do better than spit it out entirely. Use wisdom, find help. This is episode 229, Should All People Kiss Dating Goodbye? thank you so much for listening if you have questions let us know you have been listening to life over coffee with rick thomas if you have a question for rick you can let him know by sending him a note through his website rickthomas.net that's rickthomas.net thanks for listening enjoy your coffee